0: They've met with the pastor week after week. He's taught them our precepts and Christ Jesus to seek. He shared the law of our God, which we strive to keep, the prayers, the creeds, and the sacraments deep. Now these young saints are right to partake in Christ's body and blood, all for his sake. A gift you are seeking to commemorate this? Add Crucim has just what you won't want to miss. We've got icons, art, ornaments, jewelry, and more. Greeting cards, crucifixes, posters, gifts galore. Your catechized friend will love what you give and treasure the gift all the days that they live, visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com.
1: listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah.
2: I'm Erin. I'm Bree, And I'm Rachel.
1: Today is a story time with Sarah Day. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so this podcast is going to be dropping on the Friday between Armed Forces Day, which is the third Sunday in May, which is May 21st, And also Armed Forces Sunday, which if you follow Ministry to Armed Forces, I'm sure you've heard about that. Maybe some of you have an Armed Forces Sunday celebration on May 22nd Mm. and Memorial Day, which is the last Monday in May, which is May 30th. And also May is Military Appreciation Month. So when I realized Mm. all of those things were happening all at once. I thought maybe we should share a little bit of the history of chaplaincy, military chaplaincy, especially our LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces or MAF, as we call them.
2: So Excellent.
1: this is going to be a uh, a little overview of chaplaincy through military history. And this is a history like I'm I love like reading about World War Two and World War One and stuff. But military chaplaincy, especially in the U.S., is something I've never Actually, researched. So, this was kind of fun to go down a few rabbit holes with this. And a huge shout out to Chaplain Craig Mueller, who is the executive director of LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces. He shared some resources with me while he was in Florida for a math conference <laughs> with <laughs> Rachel and the rest of the chaplains. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, but so, it was a really interesting week for you to be having to gather material from anybody because we were all the one <laughs> time. Yeah, that was very busy.
1: Terrible timing on my part. So a very (laughs) huge shout out to Chaplain Mueller for like emailing me (laughs) stuff to do some research. I super duper appreciate that. He is also a retired Navy chaplain and a huge proponent. If you ever talk to him or listen to any of our Coffee Hour episodes, huge proponent of encouraging men to become chaplains in the military. We've been able to talk with him, him and Chaplain Stephen Hokana several times over the last few years about chaplaincy and it's the stories that they bring are just amazing. They're phenomenal dudes. And I'm sure uh, Rachel has shared some stories with us and we talked about some of these things last year too. So I can't speak highly enough of everyone involved with MAF. And I know there are also a lot of ladies in the lounge who are connected with the armed forces, with chaplaincy and all of the families and wives of active duty and retired servicemen. So, huge shout out to everybody during Military Appreciation Month. I was going to ask Rachel if she has any stories to share, but her chaplain is walking around behind her. <laughs> yeah, I'm
0: yeah, he just just got home and uh, wonders why he can't make any noise in his own bedroom right now.
1: Speaking of the lives of chaplains, right.
0: Yes. It's interesting You ask about stories and to be a chaplain spouse, as we're known in the military, even though all LCMS chaplains are men, not all military chaplains are men. So we talk about chaplain spouses and most of the best stories I don't know. Mm. And the ones I do know, I I probably shouldn't say because (laughs) one of the things that makes military chaplains so precious is the confessional seal
2: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. because everything just about in the military has to be reported up the chain of command. Mm-hmm. But what you share with a chaplain stays with a chaplain, hmm. which makes them really invaluable mm-hmm. uh, members of the team. But it, it does mean that I, I get little glimpses of the significance and the deep meaning and the value of the work he's doing but I never see it all. He can't talk about it. I wish he could. I think some days he might feel better if he did. <laughs> but the oath that all of our pastors take to never divulge the sins confessed to them means that all the best stories are off the table. But that's a good thing. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Means they'll be off the
2: table for me too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Exactly. You. you can.
0: You can really, if you are, if you are listening to this and you are in the military and you need someone safe to talk to find a chaplain Mm -hmm. because they can listen they can pray they can absolve they can you know (laughs) nurture you and offer you guidance and if you can find an lcms chaplain because Mm -hmm. they're going to be giving you that double heaping portion of law and gospel that your soul needs so very badly when you're carrying around a heavy weight
2: i'm actually curious um before you before you get too far into your plans, Sarah. <laughs> just because I feel like the whole the whole confessional seal is something I hear about in movies and books and that sort of thing. And math but, is like two cubicles over from exactly, you. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't What does that really mean though? How does that play out? Is there is there nothing that they tell if there's like Oh, here's the few exceptions. I'm curious.
0: As far as I know, I've never I don't think there's an asterisk
1: I next don't think to the exceptions. Uh-huh. Sometimes it comes up like if somebody confesses a murder to a pastor, like and then law enforcement comes, what would that pastor do? And as far as I know, they don't I don't think they tell.
2: No. Planning a murder? As like, far they as, like, they yeah, may very, very
0: strongly
1: counsel the person to please go tell somebody else. I think, uh-huh. I think um, that's how it goes. That wow. if a person comes, like they are under oath mm-hmm. to not tell anything, but they will strongly advise like if the person's coming to them for repentance and they have mm-hmm. a repentant heart, then they're probably more likely to then turn themselves in, mm. <laughs> or like not do right. the thing that they're planning mm-hmm. on doing, mm-hmm. right?
0: So that's- that is that is a great thing <laughs> that's that um, that's a pickle. <laughs> chaplains bring the other thing that they bring yeah. is yeah. being there for people. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. they are embedded in. what, You know, when Ken was deployed, he was one of the officers mm-hmm. in the Air Wing. They're mm-hmm. with them all the time. It's like living with your pastor. Mm -hmm. And if you're a pastor's wife, you know what that's like. If you're not, you probably have no idea. But living with your pastor, Ken did a lot of good work visiting with. He led worship, of course, and Bible study and all that. But he also played a whole lot of cribbage Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) and had some really meaningful conversations, you know, during movie night. Well, not during, but that'd be rude. But, you know, (laughs) (laughs) through things like movie nights or like Uh game nights, Working out with people, mm-hmm. just developing the kind of relationships that make it so that when somebody's having a spiritual crisis, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel weird to go oh, talk yeah. to your chaplain. Yeah. So yeah, they're there and they're also there 24-7. Ken is currently ha- having a cushy time, not cushy, <laughs> uh, <laughs> at, at, connected to a base chapel. So not deploying and that's great for me. But... <laughs> He is constantly, almost almost all the time, tethered to what I affectionately call the bat phone. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the duty chaplain phone. And he can get calls at two in the morning wow. um, of somebody who's in crisis and needs needs help at that moment. There is a huge problem right now with a higher than acceptable suicide rate in yes. the military. Yeah. And chaplains are seen as a key part of that struggle and as a result you know they're they're just there they're going to mm-hmm. be there for you you can call and talk to anybody talk to somebody at any hour of the day or night and and get the spiritual care that you need and it's a wonderful service that they provide it be very grueling but yeah. good stuff
1: yes, yes. so this is gonna be kind of how how all of that started in our yeah. US. How did um, we get marches. here, Sarah? <laughs> Sorry, that was a very long <laughs> tangent. <laughs> uh- <laughs> So most of this history comes from a few articles from the Concordia Historical Institute Quarterly from 1999 to 2000, written by Dale E. Griffin, who who got a master of sacred theology and his thesis was called The Effects of the Participation of the Missouri Synod in the Military Chaplaincy During World War II and its Subsequent History from 1964. There is also a book that I didn't have a chance to read because it wouldn't have gotten to me in time called They Shall Not March Alone, Glimpses into the Life and History of the Chaplaincy of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Um, this is a CPH book published in 1990. The only place that I can find it is on Amazon, but we can share the link to that as well if you are uh, more in, want to read more in depth than what I'm going to be able to share with you in the next like 45 minutes. So It comes highly recommended from yes. several chaplains that I know. Yes. So if this is interesting to you, there's definitely more resources. And of course, we can connect you with the math guys here at Synod. They are always willing to talk with anybody about chaplaincy. They actually have a
2: great Facebook page as well. They yep. do. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: They have really great social media sharing the stories of babies being baptized in a ship's bell. Get me every time. Every time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh. That's, that's, that's a wonderful old tradition. I love that tradition. It's just so cool.
2: Anyway, I mean, they baptize. I well, they baptize adults to do, too, but they baptize humans. any baptism.
1: for humans. Well, and I was recently at the USS
0: Constitution. This is a total tangent, but the oldest commissioned <laughs> ship in the U.S. Navy, and they do baptisms in the sh- the ship's bell for the Constitution. And if you are baptized on the ship's bell, the tradition is that your name is then engraved either on the bell or on Ooh, a plaque, so, know, cool. so that it's always nice. the bell always
1: remembers you. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's giving me chills. I love <laughs> little... <laughs> Just, I love these stories. All right. Before we have any more tangents. <laughs> so military chaplains have been around as long as there have been wars. So... Even before the history of our chaplaincy in U.S. armies, there have been chaplains well before that around the globe in other armies. There are lots of stories about that. But recognized military chaplaincy in the U.S. does go back to the the Revolutionary War when America was then officially America. In the midst of the war, regiments identified the need for this official religious representation and so on July 29th, 1775, mm. the Continental Congress established the Army Chaplain Corps at the request of none other than General George Washington. The current Chief of Chaplains for the US Army is Chaplain Thomas L. Solium, who is with the Assemblies of God. The Navy Chaplain Corps was established just a little bit later on November 28th, 1775, when the Second Article of Navy Regulations was adopted to make sure that divine services were performed twice a day on board ships and sermons preached every Sunday unless there was bad weather. So they were serious about uh, giving people God's word in the Navy in 1775. A very significant side note for Navy chaplaincy, just recently on May 16th of this year, Chaplain Gregory Todd was promoted to chief of chaplains for the U.S. Navy, which is kind of a big deal, where he will provide spiritual care for everyone in the Navy, Marines, and Coast Guard. And this is the first time an LCMS chaplain has served in this role in 30 years.
2: Wow! So
1: big deal. Beeping over here. I'm yeah. yeah, super duper cool that we have an LCMS chaplain as the chief of chaplains for the U.S. Navy. Mm. And speaking of MAF mm-hmm. social media, if you want to see pictures of this, you can and we'll, we'll link to their social media too. You can go to to the MAF social media pages, and they have. Lots of pictures of the ceremony. It was a big deal. It's awesome that our LCMS chaplains are so highly respected in this arena of chaplaincy, and they get to work with chaplains from all across other denominations. I think I think it's really cool. The Air Force official chaplains didn't come until 1942 when the first air chaplain of the U.S. Army Air Force, Charles Carpenter, was appointed on July 28, 1942. So the Air Force was still a part of the Army until 1947, and the Air Force shared chaplaincy with the Army until General Carl Spatz ordered the institution of a separate Air Force chaplaincy on May 10th, 1949. So Air mm-hmm. Force chaplaincy came around Much more recently.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, but it's uh, worth noting that the Air Force chaplaincy is older than the Air Force. So, yes, that's cool.
1: Isn't that interesting? (laughs) And Mm. in, in case you're wondering, I had to look this up because I was curious, the chief <laughs> of chaplains for the Air Force, Chaplain Randall Kitchens, who is Southern Baptist, oversees the chaplaincy for the U.S. Space Force. So Outer they are space also pastor. covered. <laughs> well,
0: and yes, so the Air Force chaplains cover the Space Force. The Navy chaplains cover the Marine Corps and the Coast Guards. So they all get
1: chaplains. Everyone is covered by somebody. Mm-hmm. So. Back to the Revolutionary War. These chaplains would serve for six months to a year, which was the same contract as the surgeons would serve. They weren't given commissions, but the chaplains serving for a year were ranked as majors. And one chaplain was appointed to each regiment of the Continental Army, plus separate units and hospitals, all attending to the spiritual and emotional and sometimes even physical well-being of troops. During this time, they also served with the militias of the day as well. And then, fast forwarding to the War of 1812, chaplains were assigned to each regiment enlisted for that war. But for the 20 years after that, the only army chaplain was one assigned to West Point, where he taught geography, history, and ethics. Wow. Alongside being a chaplain. And then from 1838 until the Civil War, chaplains were assigned to army posts, except those in regiments in the war with Mexico from 1846 to 1848. So up until 1849, there were 20 army chaplains who were authorized. And then after that point, 30 were authorized until 1861. And then in 1861, regimental chaplains were authorized and Jewish rabbis became eligible to serve. So pre-Civil War, Jewish rabbis were not part of the, the official chaplaincy. So then after the Civil War... Post chaplains were a thing again. So in 1878, a chaplain was appointed to oversee the educational program of the army. And then in 1899, endorsement of chaplains by their respective church bodies became the rule. And this is still a thing for us now where LCMS endorses all of the chaplains who serve for us. And uh, Chaplain Mueller is the endorsing agent for LCMS military chaplains. Hmm. So we'll fast forward again to World War One. Going there, too fast for me, sir. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said Dizzy. This was brief. <laughs> Dizzy. <laughs> so World War One, there were 74 chaplains in the regular army and 72 chaplains in the National Guard. And during the war, there were two thousand three hundred and sixty-three clergymen who were commissioned as chaplains for the army, of whom only fifty-seven were African American. And I had to stop and think about that for a second. But What percentage is that? That's a very small percentage
2: Mm.
1: of chaplains who were African-American during World War I. During uh, the years of the Civilian Conservation Corps, which I believe came up during the Walther League episode because Walther Leaguers were highly involved in the Civilian Conservation Corps, there were several hundred reserve or National Guard chaplains that served with the Civilian Conservation Corps. And many of them were called to active duty status in the regular army. So, several thousand chaplains were appointed from civilian service to military service during World War II. hmm So, turning specifically to... LCMS chaplains Our synod has been providing Chaplains to serve alongside Men and women since the beginning Of our synod So CFW Walther announced In the May 28, 1862 Edition of Der Lutheraner That Pastor F.E. Richmond of Schaumburg, Illinois Which is like
2: right outside Chicago (laughs) Schaumburg We love you Schaumburg Uh My husband calls it that to be fair not me.
1: <laughs> he accepted a call to serve an Ohio regiment and Walter fully supported this vocation of chaplain. Sometimes there's weird opinions about the relationship between the church and what fighting wars and mm-hmm. being soldiers, but we're yeah. we're pretty clear in our doctrine as Lutherans about the vocation of soldier and how it is perfectly okay and honorable to serve as a soldier. So Walter fully supported this vocation of chaplaincy. Chaplain Richmond served with the 58th Ohio Volunteer Infantry Regiment, which was mostly Germans. I never thought about a regiment of mostly Germans serving in the Civil War. Interesting history. Mm. And he was first stationed with them in Corinth, Mississippi, and they were overjoyed to have a chaplain with them. He had a funeral the day after he arrived, and he actually had to do that funeral in English since the soldier was an American. And then he had to do services in both English and German since a large part of the soldiers around him didn't know German. So he ended up being a bilingual chaplain Hmm. during the Civil War. Awesome! Kind (gasps) of like mind bends me a little bit.
2: (laughs) <laughs>
1: okay. Apparently, the morale was way better with his regiment because the report said there was less cursing and no drinking or card playing when he was around compared to the other regiments that did not have chaplains. Interesting. Pastor Richmond only lasted three months, though. He had to return to his congregation in August 1862 because sickness and conditions of war were a little much. So he left and went back to his congregation.
2: I'm the, sorry, I don't remember where was his congregation.
1: He was in Schaumburg.
2: Okay, got it. Yep. Yeah, and yes. he was
1: deployed with the Ohio regiment
2: okay. to Mississippi. Mm. Okay.
1: Very Thank different you. weather.
2: Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. August. Mm. Yes. yes.
1: The St. Louis Lutheran Pastoral Conference printed a soldier's prayer booklet in German and an English one was printed later as well. So the Synod in its very beginning was definitely supportive of our military personnel. It's very interesting that Walther was so staunchly supportive of Pastor Richmond's service, and he was really quite proud of his service to the Union Army. He seemed to highly approve of the chaplain's service to non-Lutherans as well. And this is a model that we still see. And Rachel, you've told stories about this with Ken Service and other chaplains, and that Chaplain Mueller has, has talked about, that our LCMS chaplains don't only specifically serve the LCMS servicemen and women. They provide oh. spiritual care to Anybody, regardless of their background. Yes, absolutely.
0: It would be honestly, it would it would be a very light job if (laughs) he only served LCMS Lutherans. Now he only serves communion to LCMS Lutherans, but the Word of God and his listening ear are available to everyone.
1: Exactly. So then in the Spanish-American War in 1898, Pastor C.J. Broders was a chaplain in the U.S. Army in the southern states and then in Cuba, where, again, he was not only serving the Lutherans, but he was also looking for opportunities for mission work on the island. Very interesting. And his efforts were, again, really supported by the Synod and the Southern District. When we get to World War One, the Synod was really active with chaplaincy and general interaction with the military. At the 1917 convention in Milwaukee, we have a lot of conventions in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. The 1917 convention in Milwaukee, they appointed an Army and Navy committee, which came to fruition on July 23rd, 1917. An LCMS chaplain, military pastor, or camp pastor was on every American base Lutheran service centers were established in four camps and headquarters for Lutheran work were rented at more than nine other camps and locations. So they got super serious about really establishing a base for LCMS military chaplaincy for World War One. In addition to establishing these locations, the Synod was furiously busy collecting the names of all of the Lutherans in order to make sure that they were served during the war. And if you remember, the Walther League was also really involved in this work. They were raising a ton of money for war work during this time, too. So the Walther League and the Synod and chaplaincy is all kind of mixed together during this time. I think that's really cool. 37,582 names. That's how many they collected during this whole Just so many, of which 10,645 went overseas. So that is a a lot of people that were LCMS and Mm -hmm. serving during World War II, or World War Mm -hmm. I, sorry. The Synod had 24 automobiles for pastors to use. They distributed 80,000 hymnals and prayer books, 12,000 New Testaments, 260,000 tracts, 425,000 copies of sermons, among other things. Hmm. Lutherans back then really liked to like keep careful count of things. They, they liked did. Their numbers. <laughs> the organization <laughs> and accounting ability of all this is amazing. Without is- computers, mind you. <laughs> right? Yes! They were, like, serious about distributing things to these soldiers, too. Mm-hmm. The Lutheran Board for Army and Navy was closed on May 1st, 1919, when the work of the Synod for World War I was ended, because they genuinely hoped that this was the war that would actually end all wars. Ouch. So why continue the work? None of the World War I chaplains continued in the regular Army or Navy, although a few continued in reserve status. So when they got to the end of World War One, they were like, we did it. <laughs> we're hmm. done. Mm-hmm. Sadly, that is not
0: the case. Well, and to be fair, most of the soldiers, sailors and Marines serving in World War One also took off their uniforms. Well, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It wasn't like they were, they were all coming back to a long career in the U.S. military. No, they had right. they had served and they were done serving. So, yeah. you know, it doesn't surprise yeah. me that chaplains did the same thing. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Yep. So in the 1930s, more and more pastors were being commissioned as chaplains in the regular army and reserves. You know, the, the temperature of the world's political climate was starting to heat up a bit in the 30s. And so by, ni- by September 1st, 1936, John Westerman and Martin Pock were chaplains in the regular army. There were 20 pastors as chaplains in the reserves, and two of those reserve chaplains were active duty in the civilian conservation camp. So many pastors were applying for chaplain commission at this point, partially because of a surplus of pastoral candidates. Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice? To have a surplus of pastoral candidates.
0: Yeah, I remember hearing that, that they actually had, because the depression had so curtailed the church's ability to open new missions that they did have a lot of pastors at loose ends. Now, of course, they... All those pastors would eventually have lots of work to do, but the chaplaincy, I think, provided something for them in the meantime.
1: Yep. Good work. Uh, Yeah. There was also a huge opportunity for these men to serve in the Civilian Conservation Corps. And so chaplaincy was officially discussed at the 1935 Synod Convention. The San Joaquin Valley Pastoral Conference of the California, Nevada District presented a resolution that the district mission board worked fervently to recommend, endorse, and commission men to serve as military chaplains. So Mm. I'm going to read this to you because it's really cool. Whereas, I love these convention things. Whereas, the Lord has opened doors for gospel proclamation in such governmental enterprises as the Civilian Conservation Corps... Needs of Missouri Synod men, as well as possible mission prospects, are best served by Orthodox Lutheran chaplains in the Army and Navy in times of peace and war. In accordance with the principle of church and state, our church is entitled and has a distinct direction to be adequately represented in these services, since attendance at services is optional and the United States government merely provides a fair opportunity for men to have religious needs provided for. Mm-hmm. A chaplain does not receive pay as a clergyman or an exponent of a certain sect, but merely receives compensation as a military officer in accordance with his grade, rank, and length of service in the armed forces. Acceptance of a commission in the chaplain corps is not contrary to Scripture, the Lutheran Confessions, and the Constitution of Synod, and violates no article of faith nor synodical principle of doctrine as evidenced by relevant army regulations the very object of synod are best accomplished by having clergy talented for the service in the United States Chaplain Corps. Therefore, be it resolved, I love it, <laughs> that the district mission boards in consultation and concurrence with the general secretary for home missions be authorized to make necessary recommendations of Orthodox Lutheran pastors qualified for appointment to the chaplaincy to the adjunct general in Washington, D.C. through proper channels Endorse qualified men for this appointment in accordance with the law and existing regulations and officially commission such pastors as qualified for this important soul serving service in the Army and Navy of the United States of America, both in times of peace and war. Hmm. That all sounds really familiar, like Hmm. it's stuff we're still doing. So this is the advent of math as we know it. This Hmm. is when this is when it all officially got started. In response to these, the convention adopted the following report presented by floor committee number eight. <laughs> number eight. <laughs> if you've ever been involved with a convention. Nice. So oh, many
0: floor is- committees.
1: So many floor committees. Stop. This is this is how stuff gets done in our synod, though. This is kind of mm-hmm. I don't know. It's really cool. Resolved that the president at once appoint a committee which is to verify the assurances given us. And if the findings of this committee are favorable, the president and vice presidents shall forthwith appoint an army and navy board for our synod, such as the army regulations require. This board is to consist of five men who will make sure that the men appointed for service will uphold the high principles of our church. And so it began. Hmm. So after the 1935 convention Synod president, Dr. J.W. Banken appointed a committee for the study of the chaplaincy matter, which was going to study the chaplaincy question and also serve as the Army and Navy committee for chaplains. So at the 1938 convention, this committee presented a report that outlined how pastors would apply for commissions in the armed services, what the government required for chaplains, and what a commissioned chaplain would be expected to do. The committee said, like, there's no reason why we shouldn't have chaplains, Mm. and so the president should appoint an Army and Navy board, which is the precursor to our current ministry to the Armed Forces. So at this point in 1938, we have two chaplains in the Army, two in the Navy, these are small numbers, four reserve chaplains on active duty with the Civilian Conservation Corps, 26 pastors commissioned in the Army Reserve Corps, and one in the New York National Guard. So at the end of the 1938 convention, President Bacon appointed these five men to serve on the new Army and Navy Commission for Chaplains. On September 16th, 1940, the United States instituted the Selective Training and Service Act of 1940. Remember, this is already after Germany and Europe and everyone is already involved in war. Mm-hmm. Um, so that required all men between the ages of 21 and 45 to register for the draft. So this was the first peacetime draft in United States history, and it significantly increased the workload For this commission, the Army and Navy Commission for chaplains, they went from meeting semi-annually to meeting every six weeks because of the drastic increase in their workload well into 1941. So Hmm. hello, work for chaplains. Of course, then we have Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941. And at that point, this work became very, very real for everybody, of course, across the U.S. and also for our our, uh, chaplains and our LCMS service members. The Synod really faithfully supported the ministry of these military chaplains during wartime, especially with financial support. So from 1941 to 1946, Lutherans gave over $3.3 million dollars which is a lot of it's money lot. in 1940s wartime.
2: It's a lot anyway.
1: I mean, it's a Take lot of money anyway. That's anyway. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of money, however you look at it. To put that in a bit of perspective, the total general treasury of the Synod in 1941 was $1.7 million. So they raised mm-hmm. what almost twice uh, mm-hmm. what their general treasury was. On the flip side, we also spent a lot of money because doing stuff in wartime is not cheap. And if you're going to supply soldiers with stuff, it all costs money. So they were financing the chaplaincy. They had salaries for all these people, office supplies, real estate, postage, because they were mailing like hundreds of thousands of things, automobiles, printing, prayer books all sorts of other stuff. So at the conclusion of the war years at the 1947 convention, the Army and Navy Commission submitted a report that showed all of this work that the chaplaincy had done during World War II. I have some stats for you right now. 253 total chaplains served, including five from Canada. 203 chaplains serving overseas. Six chaplains died in the service nine full-time chaplains serving in the Veterans Administration, and 105 chaplains serving in 124 veterans' hospitals. Mm -hmm. There were 28 service centers on duty at one time, 44 synod parish centers, 135,000 total service personnel with 77,000 overseas at the peak of war, and 3,738 fatalities. So the pieces of mail that I mentioned, approximately 20 million pieces of mail
2: Mm. sent to service people. Mm. That is a lot of postage and Mm. a lot of printing. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've sent 20 million mailings yet. And I've been doing this for 10 years.
1: (laughs) (laughs) 60 million bulk mailings sent to chaplains. That is crazy. 435,613 prayer books sent out. Can you imagine doing all of that mailing? Those are really, really incredible numbers. But like Rachel was talking about, the real soul service that these chaplains are able to do with Word and Sacrament ministry is so crucial to the well-being of these service members. And so maybe even more importantly, 2,569 total baptisms uh, between chaplains and service yep. members. There that it is, is. That is a huge number. Hmm. 921 confirmations. Four thousand nine hundred thirty-seven marriages. Two hundred and eighty-one thousand nine hundred and seventy-eight people communed. Hmm. I love that number. Ninety-six thousand six hundred and ninety-five sermons. There's a lot oh, of
2: sermons. That's a lot of sermons.
1: But like, this is the bread and butter of all this, right? Bringing Jesus to these people who need it in particularly vulnerable and scary times. This is this is the critical work that we're talking about. One of the most incredible stories to come out of World War II is Chaplain Henry Garricki who was the LCMS chaplain to the 15 high-ranking Nazi war criminals at the Nuremberg War Crimes Trial. I don't have time to tell you his entire story today. Wow. We'll do that another day, but it's amazing. I love this story. I'm going to save that story for a future episode of Storytime, because I think we should tell the whole thing. But he was the chaplain to these Nazi war criminals, he talked with them about Jesus. He walked with 10 of them to the gallows. I mean, this was very, very real chaplaincy work, but that is what that vocation of chaplain is, to share he Jesus with
0: people. He was assigned that role because yeah. so many Germans were Lutheran and he spoke yep. German, yep. which many of our pastors did at that time. Yep. Yeah.
1: It's an amazing story, but that will yeah. be for another day. So after World War II, the commission wanted to continue working during peacetime, serving military personnel and working with veterans hospitals. And so at that point, the commission's duties going forward, they sound pretty much like what MAF does today. Act as the endorsing agency of Missouri Synod for military chaplains. Yep. Serve as the liaison agency between the chief of chaplains of the several branches of the armed forces and the chaplains of synod. Yep. Supervise and give guidance to all Missouri Synod chaplains. Yep. Check. And provide suitable Christian literature and ch- tracts. It's a hard word to say. Mm-hmm. Tracts for hospitalized service personnel. Double check. So the LCMS Ministry of the Armed Forces still carries out all of these objectives. Our chaplains have served honorably in all of these wars uh, with distinction as as chaplains, continuing these traditions through all of the, the conflicts post World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Afghanistan, Middle East, mm-hmm. all of those things. They have faithfully and continually delivered the word and sacrament ministry to all of these military personnel and their, and their families. So current day, these are current numbers as of last week. We have 139 chaplains who are currently serving with us. We have 58 active duty, 44 reserve, 26 guard, 7 civil air patrol, 2 coast guard auxiliary, to Director of Religious Education, which is a very interesting, interesting. post. Mm-hmm. We may have to talk more about that one someday. Plus, seven chaplain candidates. Nice. So we still have a lot of, of uh, people serving in these roles. Some of these chaplains are on bases in areas of conflict. Some are deployed on ships. Others walk the flight line on isolated air bases to share Jesus with airmen as they load fighter aircraft for combat operations. Uh, very real work. And like Rachel was talking about, these are the only members of the armed services who offer 100% confidential listening ear, which is a huge for all these people who are serving. They protect the First Amendment rights of military personnel to practice religion freely, and they really help servicemen and women deal with the stress of military life. Yeah. So,
0: and they had a they had a really a really challenging role to play over this last year because chaplains were key people evaluating religious exemptions for the Mm. COVID vaccine mandate. That was a job that nobody's ever been trained for, by the way. But these conscience objections, religious objections, suddenly everyone, you know, Mm. they're just flooded with these because, you know, wherever you stand on this, it, it is important for religious freedom, religious liberty. That's their thing. That's what they fight for every day. They want people of faith who join the military to have whatever they need to not lose their faith while they're serving. (laughs) And that means sometimes they have to facilitate some things that that we as Lutherans would rather not happen, but at the same time, it's a do unto others Hmm. kind of situation Yeah, where you want to think that if your young Lutheran joins the service, that there will be a chaplain there, even if it's not a Lutheran chaplain, who will help get them connected to Lutheran Word and Sacrament Ministry, wherever they are, Mm -hmm. so that they can be strengthened and supported in that faith. And if that chaplain happens to be an LCMS chaplain, all the better. It's such such vital work because a lot of, just as with kids who go to college, kids who join the service, it is very hard as they're separated from their families, from their communities, their churches, their networks, and, and they're going through a really stressful time in their life for them to maintain their faith yeah um and chaplains are one part of the the puzzle for making sure that maybe that happens yeah because you you need it you need <laughs> God <laughs> if in any in any part of your life but especially in military service yeah to do that without faith is soul-crushing
1: really yeah. so before I'm done I do have a couple of stories to share yes. from a couple of current chaplains and then a couple of. Well, a chaplain's wife and somebody who is active duty military. So first, I have uh, two chaplains, Chaplain Travis Ferguson and Chaplain Chad Siski. These are two names that are very familiar to me anyway, because we pray for chaplains regularly in chapel. And so I hear their names a bunch, but sometimes you don't really know their stories. Uh, But these two have particularly interesting stories because they both served... In the Middle East last year, 2021, as the U.S. troops were withdrawing from Afghanistan. And I know we have seen, probably seen and heard and read the stories of how challenging that was. And these two chaplains were serving smack dab in the middle of everything that was happening in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. So there's also a couple links that I can share in the show notes, too, if you want to if you want to read the full stories, because I can't share all of it. I have a couple links to share, too. So, Chaplain Travis Ferguson has been a chaplain in the United States Air Force since 2014 as a reservist, serving active duty with the 940th Air Refueling Wing at Beale Air Force Base in Northern California, in addition to being pastor to a congregation in California. So, last year in 2021, he was deployed to the Middle East and was serving at al Air Base in Qatar. Cater? Qatar? Cotter. Cot- Cotter! Thank you! There it is. Cutter. I always think I know how to pronounce it. And then I say it and I'm like, nope, that's not right. Nope. (laughs) Anyway, so when we think back to August 2021, when U.S. forces were withdrawing from Afghanistan, this was causing a huge wave of refugees. And we're still now talking about the resettlement of these refugees. I know there's a lot in St. Louis happening with that, with uh, Christian friends of New Americans. They're working with a bunch of these families. So this is still... We are still dealing with all of these things that, that, that started happening last year. So this base wasn't set up to house refugees at all, but they were thrown into preparing housing for what was going to become 57,000 Afghan refugees. So Chaplain Ferguson was in the middle of all of this, providing spiritual care not only to the airmen around him, but also to the waves of refugees that were coming through. There's a couple of of uh, little anecdotes in the story from Concordia Seminary when he was setting up cots for the 800 refugees waiting in the hangar, he said he stupidly asked one of the kids how he lost his shoes. And the kid said, "Well, I lost them running from the Taliban." And he mm-hmm. was like, "Oh, yeah, this is um, this is real. <laughs> These situations were were very, very raw for the refugees coming through. Another story was that he was talking to a father who was holding a crying child, and so Chaplin was able to offer them this apple juice that he had in his pocket, and the child stopped crying, and Chaplin was able to talk for a bit with the father, and the father mentioned that, well, since Chaplin has kids, he must be able to understand the difficulty of the situation a little bit better, but Chaplin was like, well, I've uh, never had to run for my life with only the clothes on my back, so I really don't even understand What's happening with you guys? Mm-hmm. But he says that his his seminary preparation, all of the training and practical theology of of meeting people where they are and being the hands and feet of Jesus was like seriously on display mm-hmm. for him in these moments, being able to serve these people who so desperately needed care and mercy. So, All of these military personnel, including Chaplain Ferguson, had to get super creative really quickly for how to care for all of these refugees who were already vulnerable. They converted hangars and warehouses into living quarters. They set up cots, places for all of them to sleep. They sourced food from a variety of places. And some of them were even offering the clothes from their own closets to people who literally had nothing other than the clothing on their backs. Chaplain Ferguson, I believe, has returned to life in California. I could be wrong about that. But he said this experience was changing how he was viewing the world and his vocation as a pastor. And he was literally living out Matthew 25 verses 35 to 36. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. He was like, this this is what was literally happening. And Mm. he was a part of all of that. So the other story, Major Chad Chiski, also a story from Afghanistan. He was serving uh, alongside an armored battalion of the Minnesota National Guard as a military chaplain in addition to being a pastor in Wisconsin. In March 2021, he was called to a nearly year-long deployment in Kuwait with Task Force 1194, 194 where he was caring for the spiritual needs of more than 700 soldiers. Hmm. Chaplin Shisky was deployed to the Middle East at the same time as Chaplain Ferguson, so he was also in the middle of this withdrawing Mm. of troops. But Chaplin Shisky was sent with his unit from the Minnesota National Guard to secure the Kabul airport, and I'm sure we've all seen Mm. and remember the stories from the just like the terror and the gut wrenching things Mm -hmm, that were happening at the airport as people were trying to get out of Afghanistan and the Taliban was actively trying to destroy it. And yep. there was just, there was a lot wow. happening all at once. And Chaplain Shisky was serving right in the middle of all of that. The stories of what the military personnel were doing to keep people safe at that point are really incredible. What the, the unit from the Minnesota National Guard was able to accomplish alongside some of these units, they, they described them as these storied active duty units. They were deployed alongside the soldiers and the chaplains deployed with them had to manage this just massive influx of people determining who got in, who didn't get in, making sure that everything was safe. Constructing walls so there wasn't complete chaos... They met waves upon waves of refugees, sometimes sometimes having a chance to play with the kids, though, while they were meeting all of these refugees. Some of them were engineers that were shoring up the walls to prevent people from just flowing in unchecked. They were also protecting all these people and the airport from the Taliban attacks, which were actively happening. Some of the soldiers at certain points were shielding refugees with their bodies from these attacks. Mm. So this was, this was a very real situation that our chaplain was serving in. He was laser focused on the spiritual and mental wellness of this task force, though. He was visiting refugees, bringing them things like baby formula and Mm -hmm. diapers and wipes, food, toiletries. And these people really had nothing other than the clothes on their backs. And Chaplin was working very hard to make sure that he could care for them in any way he could. So these are two of the stories that, like Rachel said, two of the stories that we can share (laughs) of the work, the very real work uh, that our chaplains are involved in. Hmm. I also have a story from Katie Norton, who is a chaplain's wife, and she shared a a little story with me. I met her last week, and she's lovely. I'm so Uh glad that she she wrote
0: in to contribute to this.
1: So she said, this has been a really unique position to be in as a chaplain's wife. I feel compelled to serve the families in my husband's unit or the congregation we attend, but yet I'm not obligated to do either. I serve on the FRG committee for our unit and organize meal trains. What is FRG, Rachel?
0: Family Readiness Group. It's Ah. sort of like a support group for the families of service members who are deploying. Very Mm -hmm. nice.
1: Yeah, Everything is acronyms in the military.
0: Oh, it is. Oh, (laughs) my goodness. You're very lucky that that's one that I actually know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) She says, I have also learned that our story is not unique in the military. We came to the Army unsure of what we were getting into. Then my husband deployed two months in, and we were blessed to learn I was pregnant with another child. So I would be doing eight and a half months of pregnancy on my own while raising our other four daughters. I found support in my military spouse, neighbor, in our new church home, and the other chaplain wives on a post. I especially encourage congregations to support your chaplain families with prayers and to be there for those who may be in your congregations. We are also part of the Adopt a Chaplain program, and our sponsoring congregation has been very faithful with their donations and Mm -hmm. prayers. And that is something I didn't mention. There is an adopt a chaplain program with LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces. So, if your congregation wants to adopt a chaplain, we can get you connected. Facilitate.
0: Oh, yes. please do. It it can be it can be a lonely life, and so to feel like you have Lutheran brothers and sisters out there who are praying for you and encouraging you mm-hmm. is a great gift. So consider that. Yep.
1: And. One final note from Sandy. She said, in my active duty days, we were blessed to be able to worship occasionally with the Lutheran Church in Kaiserslautern, Germany, which is super active with military personnel and a bunch of people after her comment were like hey I was there too we all know each other (laughs) yes there's a a little community there not with a military chaplain but an amazing experience in my husband's career we have been amazed to have LCMS chaplains at Fort Bragg North Carolina Fort Riley Kansas Fort Campbell Kentucky and currently at Scott Air Force Base in Illinois what an amazing Mm. blessing I just want to remind ask people to please pray for our chaplains and their families Mm. it is not only a service to God and families but to the country and all who serve it it is not just religious support but counseling yeah. therapy serving soldiers and families through struggles such as combat death injuries survivor guilt mm-hmm. ptsd family and marriage counseling and more there are some who think the chaplain corps should go away please pray through this that chaplains remain as the strong support that mm-hmm. we need in the military god is good yes so,
2: yes. so true yes. to all of that well and i often you know as somebody who's familiar with counseling and therapy and like you often ask yourself like who counsels the counselor Mm. and i feel like with this the stakes are so much higher you know soldiers you know people who are seeing combat guarding airports and taking in refugees while you know enemy forces are trying to destroy like they see stuff yeah they do Mm -hmm. but then like on top of everything else They have to provide that spiritual care and support for the soldiers. And so I guess my question outside of prayer, which don't get me wrong, is a wonderful tool. Thanks be to God. But Like, how else? Like, what else can we do to help these guys? Because it's like that just kills me in my hearts. Yeah,
0: I I will say this for the U.S. military, that they have done a really admirable job over the last years of destigmatizing mental health services Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and making them more available and encouraging service members to do that. And they've also been making sure that chaplains are equipped not to do the work of a psychologist. They're not, you know, they're not mental health professionals, but they are spiritual care professionals. And and Mm -hmm. whenever you have a crisis of that kind, there is a, you know, a psychological component, but there's usually also a spiritual component. We have souls. Right. And so to have those there, as far as how can you support, encourage chaplains? I don't, I don't know. I mean, all of the things that have been said are so true. If a military family of any sort shows up at your church, uh, like plug them in immediately because they probably only have two or three years with you, but they're super geeked to be there. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Like, don't waste time. They will, they will go with it. But what that's what we need more than anything is to Mm -hmm. feel connected to the body of Christ. And there are so many times when chaplains are assigned to places where they find themselves very isolated,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, going years without being able to attend a Lutheran church. Yeah, because as we know, there are not LCMS churches in every community in the United Mm -hmm. States. You know, some people have to drive, you know, an hour or two hours to to reconnect in that way. Oh, yeah. um, but I think any word of encouragement, the math team can connect you either through the Adopt-A-Chaps program or to help you, sh- tell you how you can be an encourager mm-hmm. to the chaplains mm-hmm. out there. My husband received care packages. It was wonderful when he was deployed from Lutheran churches that he never knew. Um, oh. <laughs> full of you know, items that he could then use in his ministry to distribute to other people. And some of them, I'll be honest, a few of them made it home with him because they were extra and that's great. Yay. (laughs) But the fact that there were churches partnering to send a little bit of love and grace across the sea in the form of, let's say, clean toothbrushes and toothpaste or like (laughs) fresh socks or candy right. preferably not chocolate because that totally melts in transit oh. melts, you know or devotional materials or just cards and letters mm-hmm. oh my goodness like that just means so much and for yeah. you are basically filling the chaplain's toolkit and giving him something to give mm-hmm. and that's that's what they want more than anything is to be able to do their job to reach out with the love of god to all those who are around them and be there at the at the bad times So, yeah, I I am so grateful to all of the individuals and churches who have reached out to my husband during his time as a chaplain and said, what can we do? And maybe there's not much. Honestly, the military does a lot for its for its people. But encouragement is something that doesn't go on the leave and earnings statement. True then. Yeah. (laughs) And that we need so much all the time. Encouragement and connection. Sorry, that probably
1: wasn't a super satisfying answer, Brie, but... No, it's all right. I like it. All of those resources you can find at lcms.org slash armed forces. There's contact information for several people who will get you set up for the adopt Chat program, which is an awesome program. There's no fee involved with that. You literally are matched with a chaplain and you just like encourage the heck out of them. And it's great. There's also Operation Barnabas that I ran out of time to talk about, but that's also a a great program to support military personnel. All of that stuff is at lcms.org slash armed forces. Plus, if you want to plan an Armed Forces Sunday, there's information on how you can do that too. So happy Military Appreciation Month, everybody who serves. Thank you for your service.
0: And to all my fellow spouses out there, thank you for your sacrifice. Yes. It is
2: not a small thing. Claps all around, bro. Salute. If you
1: have stories about your own time in the armed forces or as a chaplain family, we'd love to hear them in our Facebook group, Lutheran Ladies Lounge on Facebook. You can also share those with us on Instagram at Lutheran Ladies Lounge. You can also get us in your inbox if you aren't on social media or if you like to just read emails about Lutheran Ladies Lounge stuff and get some sneak peeks that we don't put in the Facebook group. Sneaky you can sign up for our e-newsletter comes out once a month you can find those details in the show notes for this episode or you can send an email to lutheranladies at kfuo.org you can find all of our episodes at kfuo.org slash lutheran ladies lounge or on the kfuo radio app or on your favorite podcasting app you're listening to the lutheran ladies lounge podcast i'm sarah i'm aaron i'm Bree, and i'm rachel KFUO Radio and the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge podcast are underwritten in part by Ad Cruzum. Visit them online at adcrucem.com. Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies' Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Join our community on Facebook in the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge.